All right, well, let's uh, open in a word of prayer here. Oh, you need a lesson? Okay. No, we'll give it to you. Yeah. Okay. This is $5. Yeah. <laughs> we're charging. Yeah, we're charging. <laughs> Father, thank you for this beautiful morning you've granted to us and open our hearts and minds as we discuss your word and study it. I pray that you would teach us now in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right, we're uh, working our way through the doctrine of the church. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the purpose of the church. I don't want it. There's always somebody in a class that's just disruptive. You know? I would give you a detention, but. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, boy, I can't get anywhere this morning, can I? Everybody's just all worked up. It's still doing that. Hi, Leslie. All right. Boy, everybody needs to be on Ritalin this morning or something. Calm you down, man. Sheesh. Anyways, let's, uh, let's look at the purpose of the church here. And uh, we're working our way down through this topic. And we're looking at it now from the positive perspective. What is the church supposed to be doing? And um, last week we talked about the concept of the church is to love God, display God's grace, evangelize the world. That's really, our, that's really what we're here for. Um, the church is not here to worship because we can do that better in heaven, Right? We're not here to necessarily learn because we can do that a whole lot better in heaven. But we are here to evangelize the world. We're here to point people to Christ, to bring them to the knowledge of the gospel of Christ. It is the baptized believers, and the idea here is not to dunk them in water, rather to make them part of the church, right? Yes. That's what it is, is to make them a member of the church. The, the idea of baptism in those days is that was your official entree into a group, to become part of that group. And a lot of times we think, well, we'll just uh, get them saved, we'll dunk them in water, and we're done. No, that's just the beginning. That's just the first starting point. That's like, you've got the baby home from the hospital now, now what are you going to do? You've got to help that baby grow in Christ. You've got to disciple that child. You've got to disciple the Christian child. You've got to disciple them and bring them along. But I resemble that remark. Okay. <laughs> It's to instruct believers. That's the next part. What is that? To disciple, to teach believers. Um, the church should be the... the, the um, Paul calls the church the pillar and support of the truth. This is where you find the truth of the word of God. And what God has done in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, is he has given the church gifted men, um, pastors, teachers, um, evangelists, apostles, prophets. What are, what's the job of those men? They're to... Spread the good news. Not to spread the good news. That's your job. Your job is to spread the good news. Your job is to be a witness. Your job is to tell others about Christ, but they are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now that doesn't... Yeah, it doesn't mean that they don't evangelize. But we had this... You know, I, I remember when I first came to Open Door, there was this concept on the staff that you know, in order for you to teach or do anything, you had to be an official 20, you know, um, full-time Christian pastor. And what you had is a bunch of people said, well, if I need uh, my neighbor witness to, I'll get the pastor to go over and witness to him. Well, why don't you do that? Why did God stick you next to that person? Um, you go do that. The pastor's job, the pastor's duty is to equip you to do the work of the ministry because he can't do all of it. Um, and that's the point of what it means when God says, I've given the church gifted ministers, gifted people, in order to build up the body of Christ, to enable the, Christ, or enable the message to go forward even better. It's to edify believers. What does that mean? To build them up. To build them up. To edify, to strengthen, to encourage. Um, that's one of the things we need to do to one another. We need to build one another up. That's why, and we talked about this a little bit last week, that's why it's important for you to be part of a church. And I, I believe really strongly in this. And not, not everybody at Open Door believes the same way I do, but I think church membership is essential. And if you're not a member, you ought to be one. 
All right. Why is it that you need to be a member? You need to be a member because it gives you a sense of belonging. It also gives you a sense of responsibility. You have some ownership here. Too often we have people that just float from church to church. You know, and they get a little bent out of shape at a church. They'll just leave that and float somewhere else. And what happens there after a couple of months? Uh, somebody steps on their foot. They're out of there. They're somewhere else. And you sort of float from here to here to here to here to here. You need to be part of a church. You need to be committed to part of a church. Because that gives you a commitment to that body. But it gives that body a commitment to you. And we need to encourage one another, admonish one another, and build one another up. Um, this is the high point of my week is coming here to church. This is, this is the high point. Yeah. And being part of this class is the high point of my week because I'm encouraged when I'm around other believers that love the Lord. And I get encouraged by that. And hopefully I'm an encouragement to them. That's what it means to build up the body of Christ. We, need, we work together. And, and when you have a bad hair day or a bad hair week, as all of us do once in a while, it's, it's, it's good to go to other Christians and be around them to... Have them pray with you and, and encourage you and, and, and be there for you. I mean, this is my family. These are my friends. Um, I, the, my closest friends are in church. That's where, I, that's where I met Donna. I met Donna here at church. You know, and it's been, down, no, it's been uphill ever since. <laughs> but yeah, she, we met each other here in church. This is, this is, this is the place. Where would you rather meet a mate, at church or at a bar? All right? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I always said if I ever write a book, it's going to be stupid reasons people leave churches, because um, I've heard them all over the years. And when you're when you're part of a body of Christ, when you're part of a church, you work through your problems. You don't just bail because you have a little bit of a rough ride once in a while. Um, Oh, that's right. I mean, keeping the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, we have to work to create this unity. Right? Yeah. If you've got two Christians that are at odds with one another, one or both of them are out of the will of God, right? We can agree, disagree, or agree to disagree. Yeah, you can do that agreeably. You don't have to, you know, raise Cain over it. No. Um, I, had, I remember when I was at a conference, oh, it was many years ago, back in the 90s, and I ran into somebody and they said, well, when are you leaving open door? And it's like, why? What? What? Well, they had left open doors. So they want to know, well, when are you leaving? And I asked, well, why should I leave? Well, you know, there's some doctrinal things here you don't necessarily agree with. I said, yeah. Is it going to be any better where I go? Exactly. It's not, right? The problem is, no matter what church you pick, unless you are the one who's the head of the church, no matter what church you decide to attend, there's going to be something that you disagree with. Yeah. So what do you need to do as a mature believer? Just stick with God. Get over it. Yeah. Grow up. All right, so they don't do everything exactly the way you would. Or, or there might be some secondary or third level doctrine that you don't necessarily agree with. Well, that's okay. We're all in process, right? And maybe you're the one that's wrong. Maybe they're right and you're wrong. Oh, that's um, so what you need to do is you need to learn to work together. You need to, to learn to... To strive together. And that's what Paul said in Philippians 2 when he said, I want this mind to be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. What is that? Humble yourselves. Think of the other person better than yourself. Now, of course, we're not talking about disagreement over essential doctrine. Right. If, it, if the deity of Christ is at stake, I'm out of here. If the blood atonement is at stake, I'm out of here. But some of this other stuff, you know, you just need to, to go with it. And this person just, he was shocked. You know, well, you don't agree with everything. He said, yeah, I don't, but I'm not going to agree with everything wherever I go. There's going to be, I can find, I can go to any church on the planet and find something that I don't like about it. That's maturity. So what I need to do is set aside those things and find a place where I can fit in, where I'm comfortable, where I can exercise my spiritual gift, where I can minister to other people, where I feel I'm ministered to, and stick it out. And here's the other thing I think, too. Here's the other thing. What gives someone's ministry, whatever that ministry is, what gives it validity to an extent? Truth. Truth, but what else? What, what, in, what gives me... Let's look at it from this perspective. What gives me... Um, I'm trying to think of the word here. Not integrity, that's not the word. Um, 
Yeah. What gives me credibility at Open Door? Me personally. What gives me credibility here? I've been here a long time. I've seen it come. I've seen them go. I've stuck it out. I've been here. Yeah, there, there's a credibility. And, and I think the same thing in a pastorate. You know, if you have a pastor that, you know, he's here two years, they're three years, here two years, they're three years. How do you develop an enduring ministry when you're just bouncing around? I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong for pastors to leave church. I'm not going there. But when you look at a ministry, when, when you have a pastor who's been a pastor of a church for 20 or 30 years, the people have watched him raise his kids, watched him through the good times and the bad times, there's a certain credibility to his ministry that he would not have if he just floated in on, you know, one Sunday and two years later floats out. There's a credibility, a long-haul credibility. And I think a lot of times, in our, especially in our society, we shortchange that because we jump from church to church to church to church way too easily. There's not, that's not to mean there's not times when you need to leave a church. But we do it way too fast. We, go, we, we, we find it way too easy to just jump around. And I think what happens is you lose, at, over time, your credibility in a church takes a hit because you come into a church and they, they have no history with you. Um, one of the things we're going to find in the New Testament in a, in a few weeks when we talk about the the, um, the qualifications for an elder is what is one of the qualifications? He needs, he needs to be a man who is above reproach. Well, how do you know this guy is above reproach? How do you, do, how do you know that? But how do you know that? You've seen him around. You know, when you get a resume from some guy over in Bongo Bongo and you have no idea who he is or where he's from or what his background is or anything like that, how do you know he's a person of integrity necessarily? You look good on oh, I, you do a lot on paper. You know that. Well, you know, an example is a good, a good, you need to live an example. But how do you know that that person has lived an example unless you know somebody who knows that person over the long haul? Right. And that's why I think the best place to find pastors is in your local church. That's the best place to find them because you've seen them for a long time. You've watched them grow up. You've watched them face the issues of life. Um, but but the point. The point here is that, is that when you are part of a body of Christ, when you're part of a local assembly, you have a commitment to that local assembly. Financially, um, you have a commitment. You have a commitment to give your time, your energy. And just as in a family, when a family member rubs you the wrong way, you don't divorce the family. You don't find another family to join. All right? You stick it out. Or you, hopefully you stick it out. All right? And again, that does not mean there comes those times where there needs to be a parting of the ways. But make sure that you're doing it for the right reason, not because somebody looked at you cross-eyed on a Sunday morning and you got all bent out of shape because you didn't get to sing the solo. I, I know people that left open door because they couldn't sing enough solos. Well, that's a real stupid reason to leave the church. I think there's several, I think there's a few, what I would call, I don't want to get too much on this rabbit trail, but it's an important question. I think there's a few reasons that, are, that would cause, or that should cause somebody to consider leaving a church. Number one, you get moved across the country with your job. I mean, what are you going to do? All right? Um, it has nothing to do with doctrine or anything like that. It's just that you, you move across the country or something like that. Um, that. That's one reason. Another reason is if there's what I would call doctrinal error on the essentials. What do we mean by that? Um, the blood atonement, the virgin birth, the substitutionary death of Christ, the literal physical second coming. I mean, there's, there's a handful of those doctrines that are absolutely essential to getting to heaven. And when you have a, when you have a divergence on those, you're in trouble. Okay? So if, there, if, if our church all of a sudden said, we're, we're, we've decided the deity of Christ is not really an essential, we, you know, if you, you want to believe he's God, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. We'll break anyways. I'm out of here because that's an essential. That, that, that's something you can't, you can't give up. All right? um, another reason I would leave is if there was um, gross sin tolerated in the church. Um, an example would be if there was rampant immorality in the church, either in the people or on the staff, and nobody did anything about it, and, and nobody wanted to confront it. and That'll kill a church when you, when you have that just running free. Um, another thing that, that would cause me to leave a church is is, is not, even though I might agree with the essentials, I might not be comfortable there in terms of worship. All right? 
And that's a, that's a, that's a very individualistic kind of thing, right? Um, for example, if our church all of a sudden decided to come, become extremely charismatic, I wouldn't be comfortable here anymore. All right? It, I wouldn't call them heretics, but I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't fit in really here. So in that case, I might want to consider finding a place where I would fit in better. But if I were to leave in that circumstance, it would not be, oh, I'm going to leave the heretics behind and all that kind of stuff. It's just I would go to a place where I feel more comfortable. I knew a, a couple that did that. They, they like the um, much more traditional kind of music. And they were just not comfortable here. So they went to a place where they were more comfortable. When they left, they didn't trash open door. They didn't speak evil of it or anything. They said, look, you know, we're more comfortable with this kind of worship style than we are there. That's all right. It's okay to do that. And then another reason I would leave the church is if I was not allowed to minister my spiritual gift. If I had a spiritual gift and I was told, shut up, sit down, pay your tithe, and don't cause any trouble, why am I going there? Um, I need to be involved. That's the whole pr part of the church, right? You need, whatever your ministry gift is, whatever that is, you need to be using it. And if you're not allowed to use it, then why are you there? Go find a place where you can be used. And that would be another reason I would leave a church. But that's just, those are probably good reasons. The bad reasons are personality conflict, I don't get along with such a person. Those are all bad reasons to leave a church. All right? And a lot of times that's why we leave churches. We leave for the wrong reasons. Alan, you remember before we started having um, Pastor Wallace initiated praise worship? Mm -hmm. He wanted more music and everything, and people did get upset mm -hmm. about the amount of time because, of course, the service was maybe a little longer mm -hmm. because he also preached longer. But for me, that was exactly what I wanted mm -hmm. because uh, I came here to this church because. I believe all the things, the doctrine and what they're teaching, mm -hmm. and I love the classes that are available to learning and growing, but they didn't have the praise worship mm -hmm. that I wanted. And when he initiated that, I was very happy about it. So before, I had been going on Friday nights to another church, okay. and I would do praise worship. I personally <laughs> love the old hymns. I love the old hymns, yeah. but I like the praise worship too. Yeah. I like I like all of it, you know. But but part of it goes back to another question: Why are you here? The African American and Hispanic culture, and even perhaps your Middle Eastern cultures, all would, the larger percentage anyway would agree with what she just yeah. said. You, you have an, a different expressive expression of worship, knew that I was doing which that. which is <laughs> by the way, just so you understand. That's okay to have different expressions of worship. Yeah. You think we're all going to worship the same in heaven? Some people raise their hands. Yeah, it, it's right. different, yeah. you know, and that's okay. You know, as long as you can fit in and, and be part of the church, that's what you want to be. And then what topped it off is Pastor Wallace sent us to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Oh, yeah, that'll really get you. Yeah. And they were raising their hands yeah. and speaking in tongues. And, oh, yeah, different oh. expression. Of, yeah, different expression. <laughs> Very much a different expression of worship there, yes, you know. Yes. But, a, but one of the questions that you yeah, need to ask yourself That's wonderful. is why do you come to church? Are you here because, how can you want to put it? See, we have this, we have this uh, idea in churches today or in American culture. It's a spectator culture. I go to things I like. I go to concerts where I like the music. I go to sports events where I like the sport or whatever. And um, it's what's in it for me. Well, if you come to a church and what's in it for you, unless they do everything the way you'd like it, what are you going to do? I'm going to find a different venue. I'm going to go find another place. I don't come to church the open door because necessarily, and don't, don't get me wrong what I'm trying to say here, because necessarily I like the preaching, although I do. It's not because I like the music, although I do. All right? It has nothing to do with that. It's, it has to do with the fact that this is where God has called me to be a part of, to minister, and I'm not here for what I get out of it. I'm here for what I can put into it. All right? Now, I love the preaching. Don't, don't walk out here and tell Pastor Jim, Alan doesn't like your preaching. That's not the point. But that's not why I'm here, because he's the greatest preacher on the planet. And I'm not here because we have the greatest music on the planet. I'm here because I can be part of this church. I can bring something to the table. And that, that's, the, that's what worship is in the Bible. We get this idea that... Here, here's one of the problems. We have this idea that worship is something that we get. 
And there's an element of truth to that. Worship is not necessarily what you get. Worship is what you give. That person in the Old Testament went down to the tabernacle and brought his gift. Did he go home and tell his wife, you know, I really got blessed today, especially when the priest cut the throat of the animal and the blood went all over the place. I was just so blessed by that. No. No, no he didn't, right? What did he do? He, he worshiped God by giving. That's the point. He gave. It's not what he got out of it. The average per Israelite worship was sort of a drudgery kind of thing. You bring your animal down, you stand in line, it gets cut, you, you know, the blood, you get burn the animal and all of this. I mean, it was a pretty, you talk about, you know, not really a blessed worship thing. That, that's, that was be what it is. But it was not what you got out of it, it's what you brought to it. And if you approach church by, what can I bring to this church? What can I bring to the table? How can I be a positive influence here? How can I minister to somebody else? You're going to find you're ministered to yourself by, you know, sort of as an afterthought. But that's not why you come to church. You come to church because you can give, because you can worship God here, because you can express your love for the Lord here. That's why you're here. And if you get that view in mind, then a lot of these little nitpicky things that get people all cranked up and bent out of shape go away. They go away. I would like a different worship style sometimes. I like the hymns. But I, I'm, it's not here for me. It's here for everybody else. And I enjoy the music. That's fine. I, I can do with that. And if I want to listen to old hymns, I'll go home and put on a CD. I'm fine with that. That's why I'm here. It's a minister. Well, yeah, that's a big part of it. R and R. Yeah. R and R. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what it should be. We ch we charge ourselves, and you know this this is what it's all about. But if you're not a member of the church, you ought to be one. You ought to be a member of the church. You ought to go through the membership process, become a member. Um, we got off on that a little bit. But it's to edify believers, to build believers up. Yes. Encourage one another. It says encourage one another, admonish one another. You come to church and maybe there's a day you need somebody to pray with you. Well, where do you find that? At church. People pray with you. People care about you. Another um, aspect to church life is discipline. We don't like that word, the D word. We don't like throwing that around. But discipline, th think about it, a family, right? The church is a family. And there are certain components in a family, right? There's belonging, there's, you know, love, there's compassion. But there's also, if you're a, 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 a what do you call a functional family, other than a dysfunctional one, there's discipline, right? You discipline your children. Why? Because you hate them? No, because you want them to do right. No, you want them to grow up and, and to be mature and be, you know, responsible. And part of church life is, is discipline. Now, when you look at this kind of discipline in the New Testament, there are several kinds of discipline. There's a self-discipline. What does Paul say? I beat myself. He uses fighting terms, the punch, the boxing terms. I, I beat myself daily. In what sense does he beat himself daily? He disciplines himself. What does that mean? Well, you say no to certain things that you may like to do, but you say no to. Yes, I'd like to go there, but I really need to prepare um, for my Sunday school lesson, or I need to do this other stuff. There's, there's a certain level of self-discipline, and if you're going to get anywhere in your spiritual life, you need to be able to discipline yourself. You need to be able to sit down someday and read the Bible and study it. You know, a lot of people come and say, well, you know, I don't have time to read the Bible. That's a lie. You know that, right? They have time to watch TV. They have time to read the newspaper. They have time to do their recreation, and they don't have time to read the Bible? No. When, when somebody tells you that, just say, well, I guess the Bible is just not that important to you, is it? Because you make time for what you find important in life, yes. don't you? Yes, that's right. You make time for that. So part of discipline, and, and there are certain spiritual disciplines, the discipline of Bible reading, prayer, study of the Word of God, that's all discipline. And if you can't discipline yourself, you're not going to go very far in life, spiritual life. You're not going to get very far. Yeah. Yeah. So much more. If you if you think um, probably something would be interesting for you to do, there's a little book out called Resolutions by Jonathan Edwards. He had seventy two of these things, I think. Seventy two resolutions. 
He made these when he was 19 years old. You ought to read them sometime. You ought to read them. He, he, made, he, he, it's, 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 he said resolved, and then he gave a resolution that he was going to do. Res, it's Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. You can look up on the internet. There's a little booklet you can get. Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards. Re, um, resolutions. And one of them, for example, he said, resolve to never waste a single moment when I could be doing something better, something like that. I mean, he resolved, these are when he was 19 years old. Resolve whatever I do to do to the best of my ability to the glory of God. I mean, he had, he, you look at these, he looked like um, some kind of wacko job. But what did he do for the Lord? What, what impact did his life have? He was the greatest theologian America ever produced. His works today are probably some of the most profound theological works you'll ever read. And where did that come from? It came from because at 19 years old, he sat down and said, I'm going to resolve to do certain things. And I'm, going to, I'm going to order my entire life around these resolutions. And he lived them out. And it changed his life. All right? Um, you may not need to go that far, but, you know, we could go a lot farther than we do. Resolved, I'm going to read the Bible every day. Just resolve that and do it. Make a resolution to yourself. and We need self-discipline, but then there's a sovereign discipline, right? What does God do sometimes? He chastens. You bet. Sometimes God brings chastening in our lives. Why? Because he hates us? Because he loves us. He's trying to prune us, right? That's part of the pruning process. If you abide in the vine... You're the branches, he's the vine. Every vine that, or every branch that is in the vine gets what? Pruned. He's uh, making you more fruitful. And sometimes God brings discipline into our lives in order to make us more fruitful. Because we have maybe patterns of sin, God will bring discipline on his children. Because he hates them? No, because he loves them. And we see that discipline at times. That's all right. I had to take my son here and he told me that he's been in the Marines. And um, I remember before he went, uh, you know, the summer after senior year, I'm here, it's like, you know, I'm like, you know, and he went and stayed with his dad most of the summer. And then he went in the Marines in boot camp. And after boot camp, he came home and he said, when I first time home, he says, you know, I'm really glad that you raised me the way you did because I didn't get in trouble there. Everybody else did. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there, I tell you what, there's some kids that could use a, a stint in boot camp. Yeah, yeah, you know, learn, learn respect, learn, learn to get along with people. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> Mom, you helped me survive boot camp, thanks. Uh, in fact, boot camp was easy compared to what you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a breeze. Um, but then there's another thing called church discipline. What is church discipline? It's when we discipline ourselves, our, our own members. All right? There is a place for that. Now, a lot of churches run from this. They don't want to do it. How, you know, and that fits in with our pluralistic culture, right? How dare I assume that I have the right answer and what gives me the right to tell you that you're wrong? I mean, that's, you understand that's the kind of place we live. Yeah, yeah, well, obviously you're without sin. What gives you the right to cast a stone at me when you've got that beam coming out of your own eye? And, you know, we, we have all those kind of things. Well, we, we, we need to understand that discipline is part of the Christian life. Church discipline should be part of church life. Look at Matthew chapter 18. This is the passage on this. I'm going to look at two passages because I think this is really important to talk about. Matthew 18. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. All right, so what if somebody does something, what if somebody sins against you? What, what could that be? 
If somebody sins against you, what, what, what kind of things could they do to sin against you? They could lie about you. Slander. Slander. Yeah, same thing. Um, yeah. Steal from you. Yeah. Violate a relationship. Yeah. Um, what, if, uh, what if they're committing immorality? Is that a sin against you? Yes. In what sense? The body. It's a sin against the body of Christ. I'm part of the body of Christ. It's a sin against me. Here's the point. Every sin we commit... See, we live in this in America. We say, well, you know, if I do something wrong, it just affects me. No, no it doesn't. It affects the body. What did, how about Achan? Remember Achan? Poor old guy. He comes into, what is it, Jericho, and he sees the Babylonian garment and the wedge of gold. And Well, if I, it's just me. It's just going to affect me. And he stole it. And what happened at Ai? A bunch of other... Israelite families lost their husbands and fathers because of his sin. And later on, when he was found out, what happened to him and his entire family? They died. They were stoned and burned with fire. What's the point? The point is you don't sin in isolation. When you commit a sin, you're affecting the body of Christ. It's not just you. You think, well, I, it's just me. It's just affecting me. It's just, it's my business. Well, no, you're affecting the body of Christ. So if any man sin, what are you to do? If you know somebody who's into sin, and by the way, the idea here is this is not a spiritual Gestapo secret police kind of thing where every time somebody does something, you go and confront them. That's not what's being seen here. This is not the occasional sin that we all commit. If you, if you get upset because somebody cuts you off on the highway, you don't need to fear about being hauled into the church on church discipline. That's not the point of this. The point of this is that if somebody's in a pattern of sin, this is something that is a pattern or something that is known, and something serious, what is, what is to be done? What are you to do? What are you to do? You go one-on-one. Don't go to the pastor. Don't go to somebody else. We, we, we call up on the phone and say, hey, I need you to pray for somebody. <laughs> we do that. No, if you see it, the first line of action is you, personally, to go and do that. And if they hear you, what happens? You've gained your brother. If they say, you know, I was wrong. You're right. I need to really thank you for bringing that to my attention. It's, the issue's over. The issue's settled. It goes no farther. And then it says here, but if he doesn't listen to you, what are you to do? Take somebody else. Well, take somebody else. If he does not listen, take one or two others along, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Bring somebody else along. Expand it a little bit. Now, notice what it says, expand it a little bit. Take two or three others to resolve. What are you trying to do here? What's the goal? Restoration. The goal is not discipline. The goal is restoration. All right? The goal is to restore the, the relationship. Take two or three others. And if he listens to you three, what happens? Then you gain your brother. You gain your brother. It's done. It goes no further. But what if he doesn't listen to you then? What do you do? You take it to the assembly. To the church. And if he doesn't listen to the church, what do you do? You put him out of the church. Oh, we can't do that. Well, why not? That's what the Bible says to do. Right? That's what the scripture... If you're in, if you're in, if you're in the Marine Corps, all right, and you step out of line, what happens? Well, what's the first thing that happens usually? Discipline. The drill sergeant or the sergeant comes after you, right? Drop and give me a hundred. <laughs> all right, and if that doesn't work, what hap- What do, what all? What does the squad do? They work you over, right? <laughs> and if that doesn't work, what might happen? You might get thrown out of the Marine Corps, right? You might get kicked out. You might get a dishonorable discharge from the Marine Corps because you don't fit in. Look, we accept that in the Marine Corps. We accept that in the Army. We accept that in the Air Force. They follow that. We accept that on our jobs. Is, uh, is 
We accept that on our jobs, right? Yeah. I work for Moen Incorporated. You know, if I step out of line, I do something wrong, the first line of defense for them is my boss talks to me. But there may come a time when they'll fire me because of my actions. We accept that in there, but when it comes to the church, everybody wants to run for the exit. Nobody wants to be the baddie. It's, here's, the, here's the thing. When, when the parent disciplines their kids, do they love them or hate them? When you discipline people in the church, do you love them or hate them? You love them. That's the point. And the point is restoration, not excommunication. That's a necessary step that may have to be taken, but that's certainly not what you're striving for out of the gate. It's the restoration. And this is over serious sin. This is over, if, if somebody has a serious problem with a temper, and they're always exploding and blowing up, that may need to be dealt with. Gossip. If somebody can't keep their mouth shut, that's, that's a cause for church discipline. Immorality is a cause for church discipline. There's, there's a series of sins that are cause for church discipline. Yeah. I think one of the reasons, on average, the church runs from that, and I think the capital C church, um, not only is it because, you know, let him or her, without saying, cast the first stone idea, but it's the how. Okay. How do I impart to this sister or brother what needs to be said? Let's say we're in step one where it's just me mm -hmm. or somebody coming to me. Um, how to say it? Because the thing that I would fear is, let's say something in my history as a Christian that I screwed up and I had to ask for repentance and I got it and I haven't repeated it, that sort of thing. But that person could easily say, you've got your nerve, I remember when, or you are a, you know, they would... The response to that is that is irrelevant. The response to that is irrelevant what I did, it's relevant what you're doing. See, that, that's what we do. I, I, I've been through, I've been down this road. I had a friend of mine that I, I went through this process with and his response was, well, you know, you have your own problems. That's not the issue, the issue is you. That's like you coming up to your son, and, and your son did something really bad. I don't pick something he did really bad. And, uh, and you punished him for that. And he said, well, Mom, you shouldn't have done that because, you know, when you were my age, you did the same thing. It's irrelevant, right? It's not relevant at that point. What's relevant at that point is that you're doing something wrong. And, and what we try to see, that's the way the political people out there you know well you know you're no better because you and they want to they want to try to shift the focus look but you know also the fact that I did it also makes me understand yeah. how bad and you can say yes yes you're right you're right I did that and I've paid the penalty for that yeah and and what we need to do is I don't want to call it get a little bit of spine in the sense but but don't let people try to to turn it back on you because that's, that's not the relevant issue. It's like if you punish your child for something he did, and that child says, well, Dad, you know, or Mom, you know, you were really wrong because you didn't punish me with the right attitude. Well, that's not relevant. Maybe they didn't. Maybe, maybe they didn't punish you with the right attitude, but that doesn't, that doesn't remove the fact that you still needed to be punished, right? Right. If that were true, well, we could let all the prisoners go to jail. Yeah, let them all out. I mean, the, the point, don't let people do that to you. And, and again, the idea here is your attitude. I'm, I'm coming because I care. I have a deep-seated care. I want to see the best for you. It, it, it's not because, you know, I'm holier than thou. And, and that's, you can, you can communicate that. That's right. You can even start with that. You can communicate that. And that's how I've had to do it over the years. I said, you know, it has nothing to do with me not liking you or hating you. I, I care about you. I, I really want to see the God's best for you. And I'm really concerned in this particular area. And it's not just necessarily me. There are other people who have voiced this. And I, I just want to restore you. I, I want to see you be the best that God can have for you. And okay, I've made my own mistakes. I'm learning from them. All right. But it's the way you approach it. But you are to approach it. You're not to run from it. You're not to hide from it. And it's, part that, it's something that we all should be involved in. When we see somebody in a sin, what do you do? Go and talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, this really, um, 
needs to be worked out in the area of, um, what do you want to call it, a gossip in a church. When somebody comes up to you and says, um, you know, I'm really upset because blah, and they've spread some gossip, what should you do? Don't be part of it. Turn away from it. And this person has a tendency to keep doing this. What might you need to do? You might need to confront them. No, you don't, you don't do that. There, there, are, there are channels for dealing with issues. But usually in a Christian church, what we like to do is we like to spread it around. And I've seen it happen. Somebody gets bent out of shape because of something the pastor does, and they'll tell everybody else, but not him. He's always the last to know what the problem is. That's not a very mature way to handle things. If you have a problem with somebody, what do you do? You go to that person. You don't talk to everybody else about that person. You go. That's part of what we are to do as a body of Christ. And it says, um, Truly I say to you, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now that's, that's the prayer meaning verse. Where the two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. We use that for prayer meeting. Context, what's it talking about? Church discipline has nothing to do with prayer meeting. How many people need to be at the prayer meeting for God to hear you? One. That doesn't mean, well, I get two or three buddies to agree that I need a new Cadillac and I'll get one. That's not what's being said here. All right? What's being said here is that when, when you come together in church discipline, you follow the steps with the right attitude. What is God saying? I'm there with you. I'm agreeing with you. And when you discipline somebody in the church, you're doing it on my behalf. I'm there. God wants us to do this. Revelation chapter 1. When you read Revelation 1, Christ is walking amidst the seven lampstands. What is he doing? What's he doing in the middle of the seven lampstands? The seven lampstands are the church. The seven lampstands which represent the churches. And Trimming the wicks. Right? What do you do in those days? Well, you tended the lampstand. How do you get the most light out of the lamp? Well, you've got to trim the wick. You've got to make sure the oil is in there. You've got to make sure that it's functioning appropriately. Christ is examining his church. He's looking at his church. And then you have the message to the seven churches in which God, or Christ points out different issues that he's noticed that they need to deal with. And he calls them back to repentance. What's Christ concerned with? He's concerned with the purity of his church. That's something that bothered him. And what did Paul say in, in Ephesians chapter 5? He says, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to the Lord. What did Paul desire for the church? That they be what? Pure. Yep. He wants them to be holy. That should be our concern. We want a holy church. And it's not that we're a Gestapo trying to find every little nitpicky little thing people do wrong. But when, when they're is egregious sin that, that's blatant, that's open, that's, that you see, confront it lovingly. To, to pull that person back to repentance. And a companion chapter on this is Galatians 6.1, which I think is really important. Galatians 6.1, because Galatians helps with that question that Sammy just asked. Um, Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, the idea of caught there is interesting. It means to get snuck up on. Um, someone I, I heard used the illustration of walking through the garden and hitting the rake and the handle comes up and whaps you in the head. All right, You're caught off guard. Proptomai, it means to, to be caught unaware, to, to have it sneak up on you. If you see any brother overtaken or caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Who restores him? The one who sees him be overtaken. What do you do? You are to restore. The word for restore is a fascinating word. It means to mend. It was used to mend fishnets, to mend broken bones, to put back together, to restore. What's the job of the those who are spiritual? To restore such one with what kind of attitude? The spirit of gentleness, gentleness meekness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. You don't go in there and say, I would never have done that, you ungodly heathen person, you. You know, come on. We're all in... What sin could all of us commit? 
Any of them. Right? But where lest any man think he standeth, take heed lest he fall. Pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. Don't think you're beyond any sin. But if you see somebody overtaken in a sin, go with them with the spirit of meekness, with the spirit of care, concern. Bear one another's burdens. What's it saying? What's that next phrase? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? What new commandment did he give us? Love, Love one another. This is not a censorious kind of love. This is, we are to bear one another's burdens. We're to help one another. We are to be concerned for one another. That's part of body life. And when you see somebody in sin, what do you do? You go restore them. To bring them back to a point of usefulness. Because it affects the body of Christ of which we're all members. And, and that needs to be our concern. It's the, Christ, it's the concern of Christ. Now, if you want to see how we've done this at Open Door, you can go get the church discipline policy that we've written. And it talks about this. It talks about the various steps that we go through at Church of the Open Door. What we've basically done here is we follow the Matthew 18 principle, but we put a couple of extra steps in where before you go to the entire church, you take it to the church life board. But it's the same concept. What do you do? You try to solve the problem with the fewest number of people. That's the point. That's, that's really the 20,000-foot picture. Involve as few people as possible in the restoration process. But there may come a point when everybody's got to know about it. But try to solve it with as few as possible. Why? Because you care for that person. You don't want to spread that person's faults all over the church necessarily. Love covers a multitude of what? Sin. Sin. But if that person does not repent and refuses to hear the call to repentance, what may need to happen? They may need to be exposed. They may need to be put out of the church. We don't like to do that, but that may be necessary. Has that ever been? Has that ever That's been, been done? done here. Yeah. 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 I can tell. I can vouch for it because my mm -hmm. husband. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. His her ex-husband. Yeah. You don't like doing it. It's a nicky thing. Nobody likes it, but you know what? It's necessary. It's necessary. You're going to... That was... Uh -huh. Rosemary's question was my question. Okay. okay. Um, but, but these steps, are they just necessarily for church members? Um, that's a good question. Um, what we have decided, or what we've decided, what, the decision that was made here at Open Door is that, it, that we restrict this to church members. The reason being is because when you join an organization, there's an implied consent that you have to adhere to the rules of that organization. All right? You understand what I'm trying to get at? Yeah. Like when you join the Marine Corps, there's an implied consent that you have that you're going to obey the orders of the, of the commanders there. If, if the drill sergeant come in here and told me to drop and give him 50, I, I don't have to listen to him. I'm not part of the Marine Corps. All right, but there's an implied consent, and and there's legal issues regarding this where there's an implied consent, and in courts, you know, people have sued over this. They said they've sued churches because they were disciplined. That shows how godly they were, and which <laughs> really really tips the hand on where they're at spiritually. But there's an implied consent, so we've decided here at Open Door that we only do this for members who are who are people who are members of the church. Um, I know John MacArthur's church will do it whether you're a member or not. If you're a regular attender and you come there, you know, if you're, if you're seen as a regular attender but not a member, they will enact church discipline. But they wouldn't enact church discipline for somebody walking in off the street. You treat them as a family. It says... When, when somebody's under church discipline, you, you treat them as a brother. But there are certain things that you can't do. You know, they're they not to be part of the communion service. We would not... Now, if they come in and they just take communion, you can't really, you know, wrestle them to the ground or something like that, you know. But, but the point is, the point is, you know, to take communion, they're, they're, they were removed from the membership, from the voting, you know, from membership voting. You know, there's certain things that, that become part. And most people leave. Yeah. Most people, if they're under church of discipline, they're out the door. They're not going to stick around. They're, they're going to go. 
No. You treat them as an unbeliever. What do you do? How do you treat unbelievers? Evangelistically. That's how you treat them. You don't, you know, it doesn't mean that, you, that you, you hate these people. It doesn't mean that you despise. That's not the point. The point is that, that you grieve over the broken fellowship, but you're still calling them back to what? Repentance. And if they, are, if they repent, what do you do? You restore. You celebrate. You restore that person back to the fellowship. Outside the church. Outside the church. Um, they're not in your church. Um, I would confront them, but really church discipline in that case would not apply. Yeah, to confront them, sure. It may not be that we can take it to the level of church discipline because they're not part of the church. But we still do that. We still take it to some point. And it's just because, here's the point, folks. This is the idea. The idea is if you love someone and you see them in sin, it's not loving to let them stay there. Right? When, when that woman came and Christ forgave her, said, he said, go and sin no more. Was she forgiven? Absolutely. But he dealt with the sin. And, and that's, that's what we want to do. We want to be loving. And this, this idea, you've got to do this with the right attitude. The attitude of love, of humility, of concern, of care. And we, I've seen people respond positively to that. And then I've seen people that just say, I'm out of here. I don't need this. Whether we're talking uh, the Lord loving whom, we, whom the Lord loves who is chastening or disciplined, or whether we're talking Nancy's son who ultimately appreciated her, or whether we're talking my son who committed an egregious act when he was in like sixth grade, and it's my son who's a very big success now, but the print, I mean the superintendent of the school, <coughs> not the principal, the superintendent of the schools, called me at work and told me what my son Sam had done and said that, and this was back in the golden age of paddling, and so uh, we can't do this without your permission. I said, not only do you have my permission, I'll do what I gotta do to get out of this, you know, Get to leave work and come down there and be there. And I did, and he got three swats. And he, he said later in a newspaper article after he had changed his ways and started being about something, uh, that he attributed his, uh, a lot of his change to his mother's being disciplinary with him and allowing the superintendent to be disciplinary. And these parents these days who let their children raise them, who think that it's loving not to really discipline them, don't get me started on that soapbox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the same, I mean, it starts with the Lord disciplining us because he loves us. And it should continue with us disciplining our children because we love them. Yeah, it, it goes back to God wants the best for us. I read a good book called The Old Breed. It's about a, it's about a Marine guy who was on Peleliu. Um, I forget the guy's name. It's called The Old Breed. He's with the, uh, what's the fam world famous Marine Division? Uh, the 7th Infantry, 5th Infantry, 2nd Division, or so, I don't know, something like that. 3rd Battalion, 5th Marine Division, or something like that. I don't forget I can't keep them all straight in my head. But uh, it talks about where he, he went to boot camp. It talks about, he, and he went, he was in the um, Peleliu campaign and the Okinawan campaign. That's a great book. And uh, you think it's, you, th you talk about grossness. I mean, he, he said that the landmarks were decaying bodies of soldiers on these pieces of rock that were just, you couldn't bury anybody because of the fire and the, you know, it's just really gross. It's sort of gross, but, but it's reality. But he talks about the discipline he went through. And when I read that, I got the idea, you know, the Marine Corps, they were tough when you're going through discipline, but why did they do that? So that you don't get killed. That's the point. The point is not because the, the, the drill sergeant has some masochistic, sadomasochistic idea of punishing you. It's so that when you're out there in a foxhole getting shot at, you can survive. Who's the old breed by, Alan? 
um, uh, look, the, just do a Google, uh, Google search on Amazon called The Old Breed. Okay. Um, it's a real good book. But, but the whole idea of, of military discipline is not that they're just trying to make life miserable for you. But when you're out there in a foxhole in the middle of the night with rain pouring down and Japanese soldiers all around and people getting blown up next to you, you got to be disciplined or you're dead. You don't make it. There's another good Marine book just yesterday on WCRF. Uh, it's hit the New York Times bestseller and I can't remember the name of the book or the author, but it was a wonderful program to listen to. So if you really want to know, it's just called WCRF. Yeah, but that's all part of discipline. Discipline, God brings discipline in our lives to mature us, to grow us, to make us more like him. What's worse, when you, you know, I, I remember going to stores at Christmas time and there's a part of me that just wants to get out a switch and go after some of these little brat kids that are screaming at their moms for stuff. And it's like, and it's like their moms are just scared to death to do anything with their kids. Um, you got to discipline them. Um, How about this one, Alan? What, 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 one of my kids told me, well, um, today's my birthday. I'm 18. I can do what I want. I says, guess what? You may be 18, but you follow school rules, and I'm going <laughs> to make sure that you do. The, the, uh, <laughs> well, the, the, best, the best illustration I ever heard on this whole discipline thing was by James Dobson. He used it one time. He was talking, he was talking to this woman who had this, her child and he would throw temper tantrums. He controlled his mom, basically. And he, he, his, her mom was, his mom was scared to death of this kid because he would threaten, in the middle of the store, you know, if he, if he didn't get his way, he would threaten to throw a temper tantrum and take all his clothes off. And his mom was scared to death of this. Scared to death. Um, so he needed some, some dental work done, so James Dobson said, uh, well, he had this old friend of his he knew, so he sent this kid to this old friend that he had a good rapport with. Well, the kid comes in and he sits down. He's seven or eight years old or whatever. He sits down in the dental chair and the dentist says, okay, open your mouth, let me look. He says, no. He says, son, open your mouth. He says, no, if you do, I'm going to take all my clothes off. Okay. So the kid took all of his clothes off and sat there in the dental chair, got his work done. It was all done. And he said, okay, I want my clothes. I want to leave. No, you, you come back and get them tomorrow. <laughs> so this kid, this stark naked kid with his mom, walks through the reception area down the, down the hallway, out to the car, and uh, you know, Dennis says, well I've had it now, it's, it's all over when she comes back tomorrow. She came back the next day and, and she went in and she got his clothes and she just said, I want to thank you. He said, you are the first person that's ever called his bluff. And he's a changed kid now. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You're the first one that's ever called his bluff. Discipline is not this negative thing. We make it negative. It's to be seen as positive. It's to make us better, to make us mature, to make us holy. And, and when we're disciplined, we realize we're part of a body. You know, the way I act has an effect on the group I belong to. Just like in the Marines, the way you act as a Marine has an effect on the core. The way I act in church has an effect on the testimony of my church. And if I'm a loser out there in the workplace, what is that saying about my church that I belong to? There's a whole bunch more losers there. It affects all of us. And that's what discipline is about. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah, apologize for it. You know, I shouldn't have lost my temper. Yeah. All right, well, we got through half a slide. 
But it's an important half slide that we got through. Yeah, it's important. So we'll go a little bit faster now. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this day you've granted. And I pray that you would help us to ponder these truths. Thank you for teaching us. And thank you for this time together. In Christ's name, amen.